Good to be with you again. And if you'd open your Bibles to the book that I call Habakkuk. It's uh, given different names by different people. Some say Habakkuk, I say Habakkuk. So that must be the right uh, pronunciation. Habakkuk is what we call a minor prophet. Prophets in the Old Testament, the minor prophets and the major prophets, the only difference between them was that the minor prophets didn't write as much as the major prophets, but they are all prophets. Habakkuk probably lived around about the 600 BC. And if when the reading was given you thought, how am I going to understand this? You need to pray that you will understand it. Only God's Spirit can reveal the truth to us. It's an unusual passage. But let's look at chapter 3. Maybe you've been to England and you may have visited the Hampton Court maze. That was built by William III at the end of the 17th century. The original one was. It's been changed a few times. And if you go into the maze, some people don't find it very difficult at all. Others are there for about an hour. Our world is something like a maze. If you happen to watch the TV news, it's always bad news. People are being killed every night. There are fires, there are break-ins, there's a variety of things happening here in the so-called city of churches of Adelaide. And so we come here Sunday morning and what do we find? We find an unusual passage but we discover, I think you'll discover, that the world hasn't changed all that much. It was violent in the 600s BC as it is here in the 22nd century. The Hampton Court maze, the prophet didn't know anything about it. However, he had been lost in the maze of what was happening in his own nation. And God wouldn't give him any answers. He was asking God, what's going on? Nothing came. But then he sees that God is working all the time. Now you might notice chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 the Lord's answer to him here look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told what work was God doing he says behold I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. How can God raise up the enemy against his own people in order to teach us, not them, us, a lesson? To realize that God is always at work. Now Habakkuk was a prophet. He's the man who had to declare God's word to his people 
But he's walking beyond circumstances. In fact, his, his brain, his mind is beyond the circumstances. He's lost in the maze. He's grappling with what is happening in my society, my world, my country. And he realizes that the only answer is to live in the realm of faith. And things haven't changed, have they? If you're a Christian, if you know Christ as Lord and Saviour, you have to live not by the circumstances, you have to live in the realm of faith and trust what God is doing. Now this unusual to us third chapter is both a prayer and a psalm. It's accompanied by music that expresses deep emotion. The word selah we tend not to say when we read the scriptures, but there's no reason why we can't say it. It occurs three times in this passage, and it's regarded as a poetic term that is used in public temple worship in the Old Testament. And then if you come across the word, it, it starts off the, the chapter, the shigianoth. What on earth is that? It means to go astray, to err, to sin, to stagger like a drunkard. It's a literary style in which the psalm is to be sung. Now for us, I don't know the tune, so we won't sing it. So what is it? It's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to realise that God is at work. And so often when we come to church, after a couple of minutes, I don't like this bloke preaching, we doze off. Our eyes may be awake, but our mind is gone. And my friends, we need to concentrate, not on me, but on the Word. The Word is alive. The Word is vital. The Word is essential for our everyday life. Now the substance of the psalm suggests that this writing was appropriate for use in worship. When the people of God met in the temple, they used to sing songs like this. But they weren't easy tunes from what we understand. They, they rocked the congregation. They were all over the place in one sense in order to wake people up. But there's a promise in this book. Now you'll, you'll remember these passages. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him. Then these words, But the righteous shall live by his faith. They're the words that Paul takes and uses in Romans and Galatians, and the author of Hebrews uses it in the New Testament. So they read their Old Testament, didn't they? And they put it into the, into the New Testament. The just, the righteous will live by faith. That's the only way to live. And then there's a significance also in chapter 2 of verse 20. Just before our reading, what do you make of this? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I was going to preach on that verse, 
because I've never actually preached, I've taught in Bible studies the books of book of Habakkuk, but I don't think I've preached on it. Or if I have, I couldn't find the sermon anyway. But this 20th verse, the Lord is in his holy temple. Where's his holy temple today? If you're a Christian, you're his holy temple. We are the temple of God. We are the living temple of God. And it says that all the earth keeps silence before him. There are many times when you and I need to shut up. When we need to stop. When we need to pause. When we need to pray. And say, what is God saying to me? How are you going with your prayer life, by the way? And how am I going with my personal prayer life? Do I skip it? Do I find it too hard? I've tried to pray, but it doesn't seem to work. And church and prayer, oh, well... Sometimes in church services, and I didn't pick it up at all this morning, but sometimes in church services, it is all about our problems. Uh, Pray for Mrs. Jones, she's got a broken toenail. Pray for Bill, he's got a headache. Uh, Pray for so-and-so, their dog is lost. Who cares? We're here to meet with a holy God, and so often we forget that he is holy. And the best prayer book that any of us can use is the scriptures. If you find prayer difficult, and a lot of us do at times, open the Bible, and particularly the Psalms, and read them as your prayer, as your entry into prayer, and hear that God is speaking. So is he going to speak this morning from this unusual chapter 3 well you better wait for it the first three verses talk about the splendor of God O Lord I have heard the report of you and your work O Lord do I fear I don't take it lightly I fear in the midst of the years revive it in the midst of the years make it known and then this unusual expression in wrath Remember mercy. God is holy, but his holiness issues in wrath. Holy wrath. Not anger like you and I might have, but wrath. The prophet had heard God's report and the effect of God's fearful judgment on his own people who were faithless. And the the prophet trembles in awe and terror do we ever tremble when the word of God is read or proclaimed do we ever tremble because God is at work the prophet is trembling he asked God to put his plan into operation what plan judgment is coming the Chaldeans, Babylonians are coming they were a fierce crowd One nation after another, they devoured with their cruel ability in fighting. 
and he prays in wrath remember mercy for both the faithful and the wicked he doesn't ask that his own work continue by the way do we pray that oh Lord bless our church and may it continue why if you do that why he doesn't pray that way he doesn't pray that his own message be heard he says revive your work it is the work of God it is not our work it is God's holy work may your work be done the prophet you will notice concentrates on God not on himself he doesn't say well I'd like to pray longer but I've got this backache he doesn't pray I'd like to get to grips with what's happening but uh, I've got a headache today he doesn't pray I'd really like to be involved in this God but there's some family trouble he concentrates on God now I'm not minimising family trouble at all but you see sometimes we're so caught up in other things in business in personal aspect that we forget that there is a God who is at work we easily distort matters when we continue to focus on our problems and forget God's action we will never escape family problems we will never get away with issues in business that drive us mad at times we will never by the way if you don't realize this I'm sure you do we will never find a perfect church somebody said to the great preacher C.H. Spurgeon once I'm looking for the perfect church he said don't join it we'll spoil it there's no perfect church we may have to live with domestic turmoil and trouble and difficulty at work or wherever we are we may have to live with it knowing that our Lord is not absent he hasn't gone on holidays he does not have a coffee break he does not go away on long service leave how often do you hear people pray Lord we ask that you'll be with us what a load of nonsense didn't Jesus say I will never leave you or forsake you there is the theory the, the theology I should say of the absent God yes but God is with us in the midst of what we're going through and it's a matter of recognising that now on the other side false piety is obnoxious it's unreal but this chapter is not pious nonsense we have to have concern for the holy one and his splendour filling the earth so the Lord doesn't promise to remove the approaching Chaldeans he doesn't say he'll get rid of all of our problems he doesn't say he's going to solve everything by a flick of his fingers he's with us in the furnace but he may or may not deliver us 
Remember the story in the Old Testament of the guys that were thrown into the fiery furnace? They didn't know that God was going to be with them. But he was. And you and I confront fiery furnaces here and there around the place. And we trust God no matter what happens. Now this passage of chapter 3 is also a, a vision. Now a vision is something that you see but you can't see. You can't necessarily understand it. And I'm sure by now you're wondering, I haven't heard a sermon like this before. <clears throat> well, I presume you are. But no one's gone to sleep. And I haven't preached a sermon like this before either. Why, why this one? Is this the one I have to give at Bethel? I don't know why it's this one. And I worked for hours in preparing it in the last couple of weeks. But it is the word that God wanted me to give this morning. For me, it has to come to me as well as for you. I've said that this chapter is a vision. It's also what we call a theophany. What on earth is a theophany? Well, there are many of them in scriptures. It's an appearance of God in a way that we can't understand, we can't see, we can't explain. But God is at work. So we can say this morning that God is here. We can't see him, we can't hear him, but he's here in this place. He's here with us. The message of grace is never out of date, is it? James has just finished teaching on Galatians about grace. I don't know what the prophet knew about grace. But God always works through his grace. And there's never any need for us to panic. But rather to trust him. Verses 4 to 6 talk about the action of God. They picture his might. The enemies fall as if struck by plague and pestilence. Notice verse 5. I think verse 4 as well. This is talking about God. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. Have we known anything about pestilence in Australia? I'm not going to talk about COVID, but that's a pestilence. And there have been so many flu epidemics, etc., in the history of our world. There have been diseases in the history of our world. And men in laboratories and women spend hours trying to find the answer to the various pestilences that have come to our world and they will continue to come they will continue to come and we will continue to fight them but they can be the issue of God in sinful human hearts verse 8 is, is, is interesting Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? 
Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? That's a reminder that when the Lord parted the waters of the Red Sea and 40 years later the waters of Jordan, he wasn't acting in wrath against the waters. He was seeking to teach a lesson to men who were disobedient. So here's a question for us. Did the nation of Israel ever learn the lessons that God was seeking to teach them? Well, they were 400 years in Egypt, weren't they? They were desperate to get out of there. And along came Moses. And Moses was the great leader. He wasn't the only leader. God was the leader. And if you remember the story, the Egyptians realised that they shouldn't have let them go, so they chased them. They'd been through the ten plagues of Egypt, but they were determined to get them. And Pharaoh and his mob went hell for leather. And the people of Israel were scared stiff because there's, there's water in front of them and the Egyptians behind them. What are they going to do? And you remember that God delivered them. Had the cloud which came between them and they couldn't, the Egyptians couldn't see. And then Moses did what he'd never done before. He used his rod and the Red Sea was parted and they went across. They went across on dry land, the Bible says, and when they got to the other side, then the waters closed in and the Egyptians were drowned. Oh, we don't need any more lessons, do we? That's the best lesson of all, wow. And you might have seen the film, Ten Commandments. So what happened then? Well, Moses went up into the mount, didn't he, to receive the Ten Commandments. And what did the people of God do? There were two things. One was concerning their bellies. I don't know how they could want this. But they said to one another, oh, that we had the cucumbers and the leeks and the garlics of Egypt. That's what they wanted for lunch. We're not having that for lunch today. Cucumbers, leeks and garlic. And when Moses was ready to come down from the mountain, he heard the noise. Oh, they were having a, a good party down below, thanking God. It was a time of worship. No, it wasn't. His brother, Aaron, who was the high priest who should have known better, agreed that all the jewellery that they'd taken from the Egyptians should be put together and made into a molten calf, a model calf, and there it was, and they said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. How could people do that? Well, they did because they're just like us. We so easily switch off. We forget. We go the other way, and God is saying... Don't you realise what I'm about in society with my sovereignty and my power? Oh, I'm a bit busy at the moment. Come and see me later, will you? God is at work in our hearts for his glory. 
And so he rode on the horses and your chariots of salvation. And verse 9 says, You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Whose bow? God's bow and God's arrows. And God used them in order to teach his people at that time that he alone is the great archer. He alone is the one that they have to deal with. Verses 9 to 15 symbolise the final battle with God as as the warrior king. He comes to conquer the chaos. And you'll notice in verse 9 that I've just mentioned that God is at action like an old-fashioned archer. They didn't have guns in those days. They had bows and arrows. And you split the earth with rivers and the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. Now that's poetry. But it teaches the lesson that even nature itself in the form of the mountains and the rivers realizes that God is at work. How can they, how can they realize that? Because God made them. God created the rivers and he created the mountains and he created everything that we have in our world there is nothing in our world that can't owe its existence to almighty God yes some human beings are very clever they devise all sorts of things electric cars are going to become more and more popular now because of the price of petrol but then they're worried if they'll have enough gear to run the electric cars and to get them. So we might have to go back to bicycles or horses or so God sits and he watches all of this and he allows it to happen in order to wake us up. Verse 12 You went out for the salvation of your people, the salvation of your anointed. Now this is interesting. What did God do to the wicked when he went out? You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. That's a great scene, isn't it? You got hold of the enemy and you split him in two, just like the old-fashioned sword fights. That's what you did to the enemy. You marched through the earth in fury, and the nations have been thrashed. What nations? The nation of the people of God. Israel, and this is not an anti-Semitic comment, Israel never learnt the lessons that God was seeking to teach them through the prophets. And the last prophet in the Old Testament is Malachi. Remember him? He's the last of the minor prophets. And who followed Malachi? 400 years of silence in which God did not speak. There is no biblical record for the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. So where was God? He was there. And it was the time of a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes who gave Israel a pretty rough time. 
and people lived and people died and people suffered and God said you'll have to wait my time not your time the promise in Malachi was that one would come when's he going to come 400 years time we've got to wait that long we'll be dead by then and they were and there was another generation and another generation how many generations can you fit into 400 years and then you come to Matthew have you ever read the first chapter of Matthew oh it's boring isn't it no it's not boring is it? that's Clara it's not boring so and so begets so and so who begets so and so it's the line of the Messiah it's a great passage that's some homework for you read chapter 1 of Matthew aloud not, not, not quietly you'll go to sleep read it aloud I had to do that in church one day I was on the Bible reading roster this is going back some years and the Bible reading was Matthew chapter 1 and one of the guys said to me afterwards when I heard what the Bible reading was I thought hmm how boring so and so begets so and so and then he said but you read it and you read it in an alive way and I realised perhaps for the first time hey God's at work and that's the difference that God is always at work well verses 14 and 15 continue the story you pierced with your own arrows the heads of the warriors you came like a whirlwind to scatter me rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret you trampled the sea with your horses the surging of mighty waters you've got to you've got to picture it you've got to see that yes it's poetry yes it's strange language it's unusual but picture it in your mind this is God at work in pictorial language like a hymn but then the scene comes to its end and in verse 16 the prophet says I hear and my body trembles my lips quiver at the sound rottenness enters into my bones my legs tremble within me in other words he's had it he just can't move forward he can't move backward he can't think straight he's come to the end of his tether he doesn't know what's going to happen yet you see the word yet there halfway through verse 16 yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us the Babylonians are coming so he says I can't do anything I'm trembling I've got no medicine left my nerves are shot I don't know what to do yet I will wait I will wait quietly for God to work 
And my friends, that's the answer. When you face issues at work or at home or at school or wherever you are and you don't know what to do, just pause for a minute and say, Dear God, I know you're at work. Just let me know that really, that your peace is the answer, that you are the answer, and that I can trust you in the middle of what's going on. But that's not the end of the story. The last part I want you to see is is a few verses that we all know. Remember we used to sing this years ago? I won't sing it this morning, you'll be pleased to know. But though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there be no fruit on the vines and etc, etc. We used to sing that some years ago. The prophet in his attitude and awareness and demonstration knows in this tumultuous time in which he lives, he knows that God will bring it to an end in his purposes and for his glory, even though there is chaos in the agricultural scene. All the crops have had it. The price of petrols is not only going up, the price of produce. You go into a supermarket, the shelves are half empty in some places. We're facing something like that today. No good panicking about it. We can't do anything about it. We can pray. And if we have to go without some things, then we go without them. And that's, that's the situation of the prophet. You can see how up to date this whole situation is. But he says, I'll rejoice in the Lord. Even though there's the fig trees have had it, there's no fruit, the produce fails, the fields have got no fruit, the flock cut, flocks are cut off from the fold, there's no herd in the stalls, the cattle have had it, they're all dying. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. If you don't know how to pray, I said before that you can turn to the Psalms or turn to some other passage and start reading it aloud. You can turn to this passage too. You can start off by saying, I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. Not he will be my strength. Not perhaps he'll be my strength. He is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. Well, what's a deer's feet like? They move fast. He makes me tread on my high places. And then he finishes off it's to the choir master with stringed instruments. And he doesn't tell us what the tune is. I don't know who the choir master was. I don't know what you're going through either. But as human beings, we have our ups and downs, don't we? And quite often things don't work out the way we wish they did. But God's covenant of grace in Jesus Christ is secure for us. It will never be taken away. It will never fail. And can we, in an evil and uncertain world and an evil and uncertain country, 
I think Australia is a great place, but it's still an evil and uncertain place. Can we, in sickness, in sorrow, in family turmoil, with church politics, deprivation, death, join in the prophet's song? Can you do that? If you can't, then you need to stop and rejoice in the Lord because there is no other alternative. I want to finish with two little things. Paul, in the 8th chapter of Romans, gives a whole list of situations that they were facing. And then he asks a question, and I've I've often used these verses, and I guess you have too. Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him generally, generously, graciously give us all things? And then he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are they just words in a book? Maybe you remember the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German. He was born in the early part of last century. He became a minister, a theologian. But when the Nazis came to power, he got involved with his family in seeking for the death of Hitler along with many others but this Christian man was finally caught by the Nazis and he was hurled into jail and in his prison cell coming towards the end of the war he wrote many letters He wrote many letters to his fiancée with whom he was in love. But he said this, By good powers wonderfully hidden, we await cheerfully come what may. We await cheerfully come what may. The war had almost ended, but before it did, 
And a few days after he gave those words, he was hanged. And the Nazis used piano wire to do the job. Let's join in 